0: Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about hope and our weekend worship opportunities, visit HopeChurchMemphis.com. I'm going to tell you a story about Carly. Not many of you know this story, Hugh. You'll like it. So uh, I cut his thumb off. I hadn't always been a preacher. Cut his thumb off. Now he deserved it. And I told him at the time, I said, you keep on, I'm going to cut you. I must have told him 15 times, keep on Carly, I'm gonna cut you. And, uh, and finally, I had no choice, I cut his thumb off. Now I didn't cut the whole claw, you know, he could still, I just cut the end of his thumb off, all the fingerprint. So he bled like a stuck pig. And I thought for sure I was gonna get expelled for it, except I wasn't at school, I was at Skyview Drive-In. And uh, we went our separate ways, and and he ended up coaching. Did he teach anything? (laughs) He taught driver's ed. That sounds about right for Carly. I bet he was a good driver, too. So uh, for the last 50 years, he has been coaching athletic director somewhere And I've always known where he was. And so every year, I would know a couple of kids that went to school there. And I'd pull those kids aside, kids from Hope, and I'd say, hey, uh, Carly Powers, is coach over there, go up to Coach Powers tomorrow and say, my preacher says he cut your thumb off. Is that true? And for 50 years, every single year, two or three kids would come up to him and say, hey, did, did uh, my pastor really cut your thumb off? And I was telling Matt that last night and he called Carly on the way home and, uh, and, and told him that story and said, is that true? And Carly said, 100% true. <laughs> Why would I be proud of that? I don't know. We're gonna, he needed it though. I mean, it was good discipline for him. <laughs> yeah, it grew back eventually, you know. Didn't hurt him that bad. He could still coach, throw a football, I guess, couldn't he? So today, I'm going to change subjects and talk a little bit about hope. Now, I think you probably, from what I read at least, you can live without air uh, for about three minutes or so. You can live without water for about three, four days. You can live without food, arguably, a couple months, a couple months. But you cannot live without hope for one second. You can't do it. People are hungry for hope. We'll try anything if it will just give us a little bit of hope. We go after all kinds of crazy ideas and gimmicks and get-rich-quick schemes and fads and diets, grasping for straws. When you think you're dying, you'll try anything to stay alive. When you think you're going to go under financially, you'll try anything to stay afloat. We are often gullible or scammed by false hopes, discouragement, disappointment come from putting our hope in something that God never intended us to put hope in. When you hope in money, you're gonna be disappointed. When you put your hope in the economy or your investments, you're gonna be disappointed. In fact, many of you are very disappointed right now. Me too. When you put your hope in the government, You're going to be severely disappointed when you put your hope in other people or even in yourself. You're going to let yourself down because you're not perfect and your friends aren't either. And there is no person who could possibly meet all of the needs in your life. Hope is not a strategy. So today as we face the uncertainty with talk of a possible recession on everybody's mind or the a new variant of covid uh, that just lives in the back of our mind all the time a certain anxiety and fear that goes with it or maybe for you at school starting back up soon or maybe it's the russian ukrainian war that keeps you up at night worried about what the world is going to look like when your kids are growing up i think now more than ever We need a radical hope, what I call a radical hope. Isaiah 40 says, verse 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. To understand hope, you have to understand what hope is not. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not daydreaming. Hope is not positive thinking. Hope is not optimism. And optimism is certainly better than pessimism and despair, but they're not going to change your circumstances. They're not going to change your problems. What you need is genuine hope. What's the difference between optimism and hope? Optimism is psychological. It's based on the way you think. Hope is theological. It's based on some facts of reality about God and about his relationship with you, and that's a big difference. Optimism is positive thinking. Hope is passionate trusting. It's about trust. It's about trusting someone who can make a difference in your life, and that someone is God, that's God. Optimism says, "Eh, it's not so bad. But optimism can actually be a denial of reality. Optimism often says, it's not so bad. Hope says, it's bad. Hope never denies reality. Hope says, it's bad, it's really bad, it's really, really, really bad. But I still believe in God, and I trust in a Savior who is greater than how bad this situation is. It's not faking it. It's not pretending. It's not psyching yourself up. It's having hope in the reality of what God has promised. Now, if you want to know some more about hope, I would suggest that you go to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is called The Letter of Hope. It's a small book at the end of the New Testament written by Peter. It's only five chapters long. Peter wrote it to the Christians who were suffering persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire. They were being fed to the lines in the Colosseum, burned at the stake. They were nailing them to crosses, sometimes nailing them upside down to a cross. Peter writes a letter to people who are genuinely suffering. If you're going through suffering, you need to read the book of 1 Peter. In the first seven verses of the first chapter of 1 Peter, we have the five reasons why we can hope when other people feel hopeless. Now this kind of radical hope is rooted in five unchangeable theological facts. The first one is this, God chose me first. Now by that I don't mean he chose me before he chose you, I mean he chose me first. That's the first thing that gives us hope, that God chose me long before I chose him. And Peter starts this in his first chapter in the second verse when he says, you were chosen according to the purpose of God the Father and were made a holy people by his spirit. And the rest of that verse says, you were bought by the blood of Jesus to obey him. Now this verse says, your salvation, it was no accident. Long before you chose God, he chose you. It was his idea. He took the initiative. He made you to love God to love you and he thought of you long before he did anything else. And understanding this simple truth, that God chose me before I chose him, gives me an entirely different perspective on life. Remember in grade school, when you hated to be the last person chosen for the team? Isn't that an awful feeling? That happened to me a couple times, for sure. Ever happened to you, Hugh, Kirk? Yeah. You wanted to be the first person chosen for the team. And you loved it when somebody popular or athletic chose you to be on their team. It built your confidence. It built your self-esteem. We love to be chosen. The highest honor you will ever receive is this. God has chosen you to spend eternity with him. And he chose you before you chose him. Now secondly, I can experience radical hope because God always treats me with mercy. Remember Peter's writing this to people who are already believers. And he says this, all honor to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ For it is by his boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born again. Now friends, the more you understand grace, the more you're going to be amazed by it. Because it's completely undeserved. It's totally unmerited. Grace is not something that you can earn or deserve. It's not something that you can work for. You can't be a good enough person. There's nothing you can do to earn that grace. It's a free gift from God, and there's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't be good enough or act kind enough or do anything else to earn God's favor because it's free. It's not based on anything you do. Now check this out. You can't make God love you any more than he loves you right now, no matter what you do. You can't make him love you any less than he does right now. You know, I don't know how many people have come to Hope having given up on church. They hadn't, in our experience. They haven't particularly given up on God. They just gave up on church. And many of you fit that pattern. That's why I started Hope. People were giving up on church. And you know what people that came back to church would say? I've heard this a million times. You know, I, I'm going to come back, but i got to clean some stuff up first. got to get my act straight first. got to change some things first. got to clean up. As if there's something that you can do that will make God love you more. There's not. His love is based on his mercy. It's not based on anything you do. So come on, I don't care where you are, where you've been. You know, most people that walk through these doors, they feel guilty enough without my saying a word. I don't don't have to do that. You already know what you're doing that's wrong. You know what you need to change in your life. You know, I've never counseled a couple that walked in and sat down and having marital problems and I say to them, and they want a divorce. And one of them says, I want a divorce. And I say, well, You know in the eyes of God, divorce is is, wrong. I did not know that. You mean it's wrong to divorce? Or anybody that came in with any other sin and said, hey, you know, I gotta confess, this is what I've done, and I've said, you know that's wrong. Never one time in my adult life. We know the difference between right and wrong, you do too, but God's love is not based On anything that you do to clean up your act his love is based on his mercy not anything else the Bible says in Titus chapter 3 verse 5 he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done but because of his mercy let me read that again he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done not for that reason but because of his mercy Listen, when you blow it, God doesn't get mad at you. God doesn't want to get even with you. God doesn't start planning to mess up your life when you do something stupid. And we all do stupid things from time to time. God always acts with mercy toward you. You see how radically different that is from the way we tend to relate to others? No matter what I've done, how many mistakes I make, God is still going to be merciful to me. For almost 34 years here at Hope, we've claimed this verse. It's kind of a core value here. Hope from Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. And And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Which leads to the third radical expression of hope. God has secured my future. God has guaranteed and secured my eternal destiny and nothing's gonna change that. No matter what else happens in my life, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what you lose, you will never lose your salvation. You won't. Peter says, Now we live with a wonderful expectation because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. For God has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. That's you. It says, it is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Can't be changed we have this inheritance. How's it described? It's described as priceless. Your inheritance is priceless. It's reserved. And we see it's reserved in heaven for us, pure. That word there in the Greek literally means it's not fake, it's pure. The word in the Greek means it's genuine. It means it's the real deal. And Peter says, it's undefiled, literally undefiled, means it can't be corrupted. Anybody who's ever had a computer knows that if you get a file that gets corrupted on your a computer, you open a file that's corrupted, it's worthless, you can't get it back. Now, I'm not a computer expert, so I'm talking about stuff I don't know anything about, but it makes a good illustration, so I'll go on. <laughs> you know, it's almost impossible, so I'm told, to recover a corrupted file, and if you do, you're probably going to lose part of it. Most of the time, you can't get it back. If you have a hard drive that gets corrupted, you just got to reformat the whole thing. A corrupted file is essentially uh, is essentially a lost file. Now, a number of years ago, there's a guy that gave me something like twenty seven hours of musical files I mean it was a unbelievable bunch of music that was great stuff and I went to Mac Oates who's one of my dear friends one of my best friends I put them on an uh, external hard drive and I basically forgot about them and a year or two later I asked Mac to help me figure out how to get to them and the entire hard drive that I had put them on, had somehow gotten corrupted. And it was worthless. It was worthless. So I never saw it again. Now the fourth thing it says is beyond the reach of change and decay. It's not going to wither. It's not going to die. God's power always protects me. In verse 5, Peter says that no matter what I'm going through, I can always count on God to help me out. It says, and God in his mighty power will protect you until you receive this salvation, this inheritance we talked about, the reservation that's been made in heaven for you because you are trusting him, end quote. Not my words, God's words. Now let's just be honest. Sometimes we're in situations that just seem, feel helpless. Sometimes we're in situations where we feel powerless. But it's not true. You are not hopeless. You are not powerless. And you're not helpless. When you have a relationship with God. Peter says God in his mighty power will protect you. God in his mighty power will protect you until you receive his salvation because you're trusting him. Now, this word protect, God in his mighty power will protect you. It means God doesn't say, okay, now you're in my family. Now you've made that commitment. I'm going to go work on other stuff. I'm going to go work on somebody else. I'll see you in heaven. He doesn't do that. God is watching over you every moment of every day protecting you. Nothing can come into the life of a believer without God's permission. God will allow bad things to happen in your life because we're going to see in just a minute how he uses those things. But he says, I'm going to protect you. Power and trust go together. The more you trust God, the more power you're going to have in life. One last thought on this radical hope. God is preparing my future. And he's using everything in my life. The good, the bad, the ugly, every part of it. Big and little. God is preparing me for eternity. You know, I, I, the one question I'm asked over and over and over, it never stops. I hear it all the time and I have for 40 years is a question I bet you've asked from time to time. God, why me? I've stood at hospital beds with people that were just diagnosed with cancer that said, God, why me? And they've asked me, why why would God allow this to happen? Someone loses a child, why would God allow that to happen? God, why me? Why did I have to lose my job? God, why me? Why the financial? hurricane I'm in right now. God, why? Why? And can I be honest with you? That's the wrong question. Now we ask it, but that's a cyclical question. You're never going to get an answer to that. Why? Why me? Have you ever gotten an answer? You don't get an answer to that question, but everybody wants to ask it. Let me give you a better question. And there's plenty of answers to this one. God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you trying to teach me through these tough times? God, what are you trying to teach me through this divorce? What are you trying to teach me through this bankruptcy? What are you trying to teach me through these relationships with people that I no longer can speak with because they won't speak to me? God, what are you trying to teach me? Now, there are plenty of answers to questions like that, plenty. And God almost always teaches us many things through hardship. When you understand this, it begins to make sense and you stop saying, Lord, why me? Why is this happening? It's happening because God is preparing you for eternity. He never promised you you wouldn't have problems on earth. You know, a lot of people make a commitment to Christ and think, oh, okay, my life will be, it'll be perfect now. Your life will never be perfect. And just because you commit your life to Christ doesn't mean you're not going to have problems in life. In fact, just the contrary, I can promise you this much, you will have problems in life. Even Jesus said that. Jesus said, you will have trials and tribulations in life. You will. Not maybe. You will. You're going to have them. You're going to have problems, trials, temptations, tribulations. Yes, you will. Well, what do he say then? He says, but, but, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. God's preparing you for eternity. God is interested in transforming you to get you ready for the rest of eternity. In the next verse, verse 6 and 7 of 1 Peter says, So be glad. In other words, in light of all these reasons for hope, be glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though it's necessary for you to endure many trials. Not a few trials, many trials for a while. These trials are only to test your faith and show that it's strong and pure. Your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed for the whole world. My good friend, again, Mac Oates, Mac and PK had a beautiful little boy named Mackey. We named a whole wing after Mackie. Mackie was born a pound and a half, severely handicapped. And uh, Mack was reminding me earlier of a story he's told several times when little Mackie was in the hospital. They didn't know if he was gonna live or die. PK, Mack's wife, was in another hospital. Mack would go visit his son Still in another hospital. And he was there one day and there was a couple in front of him that had a child that was born premature at three pounds. Little Mackey weighed one pound seven ounces. They had a three pound baby. And they turned and looked at Mac and said, what have we done to deserve this? And Mac was floored. He said, what have you done? This isn't about you. And he said, can you imagine how much God must trust you to give you this child? This isn't an average child. There must be something special about you and about this child. And that's the way Mac and PK lived their lives. For almost 40 years. And Mackie was here every weekend. And when Mack and PK started coming 25 years ago, the very first time they came was because they had tried a number of churches in Memphis, several of, of whom had asked them not to come back because Mackie was distracting the other kids. And so Mack came to Eli and said, hey, this is what's happened. Could You, you think we could ever come to a Hope? And Eli said, look, as small as we are, we'll take anybody. (laughs) No, Eli said, come on, come on. And we started the Sunday school, Eli came to me and I said, sure, yeah, absolutely. Well, he can't be in a regular class. And I said, fine, let's start a class for him. And so Mackie had his own Sunday school class for years and 17 teachers. That's right, 17 volunteers who would take Mackie and roll him around for an hour or two on Sunday as their ministry, and Mac will tell you this, I'm not making it up, Mackey changed more lives than Mac ever thought about changing. He says that all the time. Mackey did. Now, Mackey's with God. He's in heaven. I wondered how Mac and PK would handle that. Oh, what a ministry. You, sh- you should have been there. I mean, for them, it was blessed relief because they were afraid they would die before Mackie, and there'd be nobody to take care of him. But when they think about life now, it's healing. It's healing to them. They can look at that and go, oh, I can't wait to be with Mackie again. He used to love Huey's. He loved Miss So-and-so and and Mr. So-and-so that got him Cokes each week. He loved to go to church. And when the preaching got too long or the prayer got too long, he'd start saying amen. And Rufus, we need to hear that sometimes, don't we? The amen that says, okay, you've talked enough, sit down. Well, Mackie just did it. And they will be with him again. God prepared for 40 years. He prepared them and he prepared Mackie for his heavenly home. Praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world, Peter says. You know, You know what trials are? Tribulations, troubles, temptations, addictions, stress, problems, pressure, difficulties, It says this, there is wonderful joy ahead even though it's necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. You in the middle of something crazy right now? It's necessary, why? For you to endure many trials for a while. Because there's wonderful joy ahead. But it's necessary for you to be ready for it. You don't have to read the Bible and know that you get all kinds of problems. All your problems are not the same, right? They're all different. We have all kinds of problems. Some of us have financial problems, some relational problems, some of us moral problems, self-control problems. Some of the problems we cause. Other problems somebody else causes and it falls on us. But we have problems. Now listen to this because this is important. God is much more interested in your character than he is your comfort. So if you're praying that he'll make you comfortable, don't count on it. He's not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your character. Who are you? How are these problems making you into the person that God wants you to be he's much more interested in preparing your heart for heaven than providing temporary comfort right now I have hope because God chose me before I chose him I have hope that no matter how many mistakes I make God's still gonna show me mercy and I have hope that no matter what I may lose in life There's one thing I can't lose. That's my salvation. And I have hope that God is going to protect me and make sure I get to heaven. And I have hope that God is preparing me right now for eternity. And even using the stuff in my life that I don't like, God is using it all for his own good. Now, I know that some of you are just barely hanging on right now. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, did my wife call Craig? Or my husband call Craig? Is he reading our mail? How does he know that? Because it's true in my life. How does he know it? I don't know it. I don't know the specific details of your life. I barely know the specific details of my own. It's just God talking. I'm just an instrument here. My job is to tell you what God's telling me. But I don't know in detail, it's not me, it's God. And I know that some of you are just barely hanging on to any little, little tiny piece of hope in your life. Some of you are exhausted, some of you are worried about the future. Some of you are hurting over some relationships that aren't going right in your life. Some of you are trying to overcome a habit that has control of your life and you've been trying to recover for years but you can't do it alone. You've tried. Over and over and over you've tried but you can't do it alone. Or maybe you're grieving over the loss of a loved one and you can't get past it. I want you to realize that God is working in your life Even when you don't feel it. Even when you don't feel it. That's why Peter says in verse 6, be glad, rejoice, have hope. It's not hopeless. It may be tough going for a while, but it's going to be worth it. And the future is secure and assured and guaranteed. You know what? People are hungry for hope. They may feel like they're in a boat in the middle of a huge storm. Maybe it's relational or physical or financial storm or maybe it's even a spiritual storm. And they need to know the great truth about hope we find in Hebrews chapter six. We, I'm quoting, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. End quote. And if you share the hope, when you share the hope that anchors you in your storms of life, you will see the hope in your life explode to a new level. Whatever you're going through, try this radical hope and see what God does in your life. Let's pray together. Father, some of us here today are pretty fragile. We've been living with problems that we can't solve for a long time, and it's got the best of us just about. We're ready to quit throwing the towel. And wow, Lord, this is a breath of fresh air this morning to be able to talk about things that are important to you and to take those things that are important to you and find a way to incorporate those things into our own lives, into our own troubles, and trials, and temptations, and problems. We need you in the worst way. Our ego gets in the way of accepting your offer of salvation and healing. So Father, by your grace and mercy and with all your power, we surrender to you this morning. All that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. We'll do that the rest of our lives, that's our promise. Father, would you hear our prayer? we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Ovenness, Musical Worship Director at Hope. If you were encouraged by today's message, hit subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship experience, visit the Hope Church Memphis YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.